The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars, episode 76. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, a.k.a. Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Before we begin today's discussion, just a couple quick reminders. Uh, You asked, and we have them. T-shirts. So you can get your own official Secrets of Star Wars t-shirt that encapsulates our philosophy of finding hope in a galaxy far, far away that are available in various styles and sizes. So go to sqpn.com slash merch to get your t-shirt today. And we have a new way to join the StarQuest fan club. We are super excited about this. This is so 21st century. Um, You can join the StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest to 66866. So that's text StarQuest, all one word, to 66866. That almost has an order 66. I I was going to say, there's uh, there's some ominous uh, (laughs) ominous numbers in there. (laughs) This is not going to kill all the Jedi if you do this. So do it and you'll <laughs> sign up for our email newsletter. So that's uh, that's that's the good order 66 here. And of course, please just be sure to share the podcast on social media to to let other people know of our podcast and to help us share and spread the show to those who would like to listen and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing as well. And that also helps get more people to to see our podcast. So today we are discussing the third episode of The Bad Batch. It's called Replacements, and joining me today on the panel are Andrew Hermes. Hello, hello. Hello. It's good to join you guys. And second and finally this evening, we have Thomas Sanherjo. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. So I don't know if you guys were at all paying attention like I was this week, but we marked a specific anniversary yesterday, technically, May 16th. Any... <laughs> Oh, I don't know it. What was it? (laughs) So this uh, yesterday, uh, this week, May 16th, marked the 19th anniversary of the premiere of my favorite movie, Attack of the Clones. Oh, that's right. Ah, there you go. Nice. I did did see that trending on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I was I was listening to the uh, to the soundtrack to kind of mark it because I didn't have time to watch the movie. But speaking of clones and Attack of the Clones, we're going to jump to the Bad Batch, and we're talking episode three. So first of all, guys, what did you just think of this episode in general? I like this one. I, I like this one actually better than the second episode. Um, I, I thought the second episode kind of took the characters in a weird direction that I wasn't really like sure where they were going to go with it. And this one brought it back to more of the sort of uh, Bad Batch problem-solving uh adventurous uh nature of the show that i was looking for Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I, I really enjoyed the episode as well. Um, and this one felt, you know, I, I'm sure like I, I wasn't on the first podcast, but I'm sure there are a lot of comparisons to Clone Wars, um, the Clone <laughs> Wars series. And this one felt just like a Clone Wars episode. You know, you have your um, sort of villain or problem of the week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone has their part to play and then the story advances, uh, you know, a little bit more. And yeah, it just, it felt familiar, but uh, with, with the Bad Batch and, and, and all these, uh, uh, you know, characters that we're familiar with and, and just getting to meet, um, it was a nice, uh, a nice episode that, that didn't feel like just, you know, like what I mentioned, it didn't feel like just a villain of the week episode. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it felt like it had a purpose and, um, and mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, now that the episodes are not going to be, you know, 70 minutes long, like the premiere, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we get a lot and you know, the, the half hour that we get them in. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that it was very, very, uh, uh, it was wrapped in a nice package and, and, you know, had all the qualities of a, of a solid episode. Yeah, I've, I found it interesting that with the, the premiere episode, it was it was very clearly like a tie from the, the Clone Wars. You had the you had Tom Kane's narr- narrative introduction and even mm-hmm. um, the, yes. the Clone Wars logo popped up and then kind of burned through with the Bad Batch. Right. And yet we didn't get the narrative with this episode or with episode right. two, I don't think. So it, it it's very much it was like that was the bridge and this is kind of asserting itself as its own unique show which is important mm-hmm. and 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 i i do appreciate that I, I mean this particular episode there there wasn't necessarily a whole lot going on but i like that that i that with this series it's going to be 16 episodes that i like that i think there's a there's enough episodes that they can just kind of take their time and it's not mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be kind of just rushed and and everything has to be kind of crammed into eight episodes or you know whatever this is kind of setting up for for a longer story um i couldn't help but look at this episode and draw comparisons to uh the mandalorian season two when they get trapped on that ice planet right uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i was thinking the same thing when they when they get trapped yep and all i could think about was when the when they started to see the damage on their hole was i was thinking not spiders not spiders, not spiders. <laughs> instead we got a cool well, dragon so i'm okay with that it was really interesting though i thought that the cinematography was very cool in this one and um the, the other thing that it reminded me of was the uh the movie pitch black i don't know if you guys have seen that mm-hmm. one yes um, great movie uh, and there it's on a, a dark planet like the, the whole concept is that it's on the dark planet and so the guy that is blind and knows how to deal with that is obviously the the hero of the, of the moment because he doesn't have to worry about not being able to see anything <laughs> yeah this reminded me of um it's funny you mentioned the cinematography and, and pitch black this while i was watching uh the whole ordo moon dragon stuff and and, and it was, while it was so dark it reminded me of a, a very uh late episode of uh, game of thrones uh late in the last season mm. um it's an infamous episode because it's known as like the dark episode where <laughs> like if you didn't have a really nice tv you pretty much couldn't see anything because <laughs> it was this huge huge battle sequence um that was you know done you know in the dead of night and pitch black uh and and honestly i like when i was watching it the first time uh 
it's like, what is exactly going on here? Like, I can't really make out what, what's happening. It was uh, met with mixed results um, uh, as far as the Game of Thrones fandom is concerned. But, um, uh, but yeah, it reminded me of that. Uh, so uh, I think, I mean, it was a wise choice because it just, it adds to the, mm. you know, the suspense um, and, mm-hmm. and being, being an animated show. Uh, I think they, they have more leeway to do stuff like that, but yeah, I thought that was cool. It also just allowed them to highlight the, the whole, um, the, the dragon likes, uh, pure energy, which yeah. you mm-hmm. see better in the dark than you would in, in the daytime. So let's, uh, just kind of jump into the, to the recap and we'll kind of hit, hit a number of things along the way. Uh, so the episode starts off with Clone Force 99's attack shuttle suffering damage from their escape in the previous episode from Seleucami and they are pulled out of hyperspace and crash land on this, this unknown planet. And they recognize and re- that they need to replace a capacitor in order to, to fly and leave the planet. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out here that I thought was, was, was good for them to do is, is this scene, you see Omega just kind of hanging out in the, in the, the main part of the ship. And they, they really, they set it up well that like, she just has no place of her own. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I liked that. And, we also have the the fun interaction between uh, her and her and Wrecker, and 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 I think this kind of still continues to set up the whole idea that that she's slowly integrating into this squad, into this family unit. But even Wrecker initially treats her as another soldier, and when she offers to give him her food, he kind of <laughs> he's willing to just jump on it rather than recognize that she's a kid and probably needs it herself. Well, but Wrecker's a big kid too, right? I mean, it's kind of that's kind of Wrecker's shtick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I put in my notes that um, and and this will pan out later on in the episode, but I put Wrecker has a big heart, <laughs> like mm-hmm. for as tough and as big and as he's like a teddy bear on the inside. Absolutely. So, um, so they crash land on this planet. Meanwhile, uh, on Camino, Crosshair continues to be experimented on by Grand Admiral Tarkin. And we have uh, Vice Admiral Rampart, uh, who implemented the chain code. He arrives on Camino to continue implement- implementing Project War Mantle, um, which we learn to find is a way to phase out the clone troopers with willing recruits in an attempt to decrease cost and to still have loyal soldiers. And he has recruited this quote-unquote elite squad to be trained under Crosshair. I love that they're in the black armor, too. That's the when you finally see them show up and they're in that death trooper armor, it's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the ticket. <laughs> there there was a number of, of connections to rogue one in this episode. Mm-hmm. So, so definitely the death troopers, but also that project war mantle was, mm-hmm. was one of the, the various projects that Jin you know, rattles off when she's looking at the, the um, Imperial computer and she's finding project stardust. But we finally, I mean, actually, I I kind of glossed over it, but we finally know what Project War War Mantle is all about. It's right. it's their transitioning away from the clone troopers to to willing recruits. Um, so Clone Force, uh, back on the the planet, Clone Force ninety nine um attempts to repair their ship, and this is where they find ominous claw marks on the side of the ship, and they discover that an Ordo Moon Dragon. Um, a species that feeds on raw energy has stolen the capacitor and Hunter and Omega go out to retrieve the capacitor. Um, that was a, a, an interesting pairing, 
to say the least, mm-hmm. but uh, that was kind of what they were setting up for. And, and I think it has some ramifications later on, but I'll get to that later. And we go back to the um, elite squad and, and, and th- this was, this was an interesting point for me. They, uh, we, sh- we see them kind of getting poked and prodded by this medical droid and they're debating why they're fighting. And one of them, kind of the somewhat leader of that little group, if you want to call him that, mentions that um, with the Empire, he gets paid, fed, and a roof over his head. And he says that the mm-hmm. Republic never gave him that. And uh, Vice Admiral Rampart and Lamassu debate over the proficiency of the clones and the recruits. And they decide to test the recruits, or Tarkin decides to test the recruits, and so he decides to send them off under the leadership of Crosshair to wipe out Saw Gerrera's camp, uh, where Clone Force 99 failed in the premiere episode. So I thought that whole interaction was interesting because it, I mean, first of all, we see uh, somewhat of the humanity of the troopers. We see them Mm -hmm. as sympathetic. Um, It was also a bit of a subverting of the standard, kind of the Republic as the good guys, the Empire as the bad guys kind of trope that we've seen uh, because these recruits were not treated well by the Republic, but with the Empire, they're at least being taken care of, um, even though they're going to be sort of forced into loyalty by fear. But that's kind of beside the point, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're starving, uh, if someone's willing to offer you food it, mm-hmm. and they demand you fear them, that's fine. You still get the food. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it And it emphasizes more like the failures of the Republic. Like mm-hmm. um, it. it you know the the movie the movies you know do a good job of uh, the prequels do a good job of pointing this out um and and uh, as well as the series and it's just putting you know more of shedding more of a light on like you know not not every one of these uh you know soldiers are are here to just do it cuz they they believe in what the empire is doing they're mm-hmm. like you mentioned if they're starving or if the they feel they're being mistreated by the republic um you know, I mean, we, whether, I mean, we, we've heard that story a million times in real life where, you know, people will do anything and everything just to put food on the table, even if it, if there's some moral gray area with the, you know, whatever company they're working for or mm-hmm. whatever they have to do. I mean, as long as their family's surviving, you know, that, that's the priority. So, so yeah, I think that's a good point that to where, you know, the, the Republic get, should get a lot of the blame for the, you know, this where, where the, they're putting the gal, the, the danger, they're putting the whole galaxy in, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, a lot of it rests on their shoulders. You, you bring up an, an interesting point. There's, there's actually um, some, some Catholic uh, morality there that we can kind of look into in the sense of, you know, it is it, to, it's the difference between formal cooperation with evil and material cooperation with evil. So, you know, the, the whole idea there is that, um, you know, someone who say is working for a company who say the company supports something immoral, you know, they support Planned Parenthood or, or, you know, some, something like that. A person, if they are, you know, for a serious reason, can't, can't, um, get a job anywhere else, but they're working for this company who does support something wrong. That would be a an example of they are in some way material materially cooperating with evil, even though they're not intending the evil that's done. So they're not intending it, and they're not 
um, actively um, directly contributing to that. Um, so it's, right. it's, it's allowable. It's not ideal. If there's a better alternative, that would be the, the preference, but you know, the, like you mentioned, like their, 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 their priority is to support their family, you know, and do those things. And they, they would be ideally called to, <clears throat> to look, to look for a new, a new position elsewhere that would uh, align with their morals. And that's in a opposition to what would be, or not opposition, but that's compared to formal cooperation with evil, which is a directly contributing to something that is evil that you are intending as well. And, mm-hmm. um, we you see know, that go down later in the, the episode. Too, it, exactly. Exactly. Right. You know, um, they, uh, and, and that's, um, yeah, they're falling into this realm of, well, <laughs> yeah, it, maybe we yeah, should say that. Dis- ex- yeah, it's it, an extreme it, example. We'll get to it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess let's, let's save that discussion for that moment. Yeah. Um, but at this point they are just, they, they are basically in that realm of, of doing what's, what's allowable morally because they're putting food on the table, even if they disagree with the empire's overall goal. So that'll, that'll come back here in just a minute. Uh, meanwhile, on the, the, the planet, uh, Omega and Hunter track this, this dragon and they, they find the capacitor and, um, Hunter's oxygen mask is knocked off and it renders him unconscious and Omega puts the mask back on him. And she is the one who ventures into the dragon's lair alone with Hunter's blaster. Cause he's still knocked out cold. But I really like this scene, too, because in the first episode, well, in the, in the pilot episode, we got a sense that she might be as good a shot as Crosshair. But then here we get the the indication that now that she knows what Hunter's skill is, she might also be as good at tracking as he is. And that's a it's a really it's a very subtle moment because they don't really play up how much tracking she does to find the, the mm-hmm. capacitor. But that was the indication they were trying to give was, yes, she is as capable as he is as well. It's also interesting, too, that uh, they're 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 playing up the the family unit idea, but also Omega's imitation of Hunter. Mm -hmm. There's a number of of, and it was here and I think it was in one of the former episodes, too, that that she's almost directly imitating him, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so she 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 wants to be like like Hunter. And I, and I think it's, th- this is kind of showing that she, not only does she want to be like Hunter, she probably is like Hunter and right. like Crosshair. And I wouldn't be surprised if she has kind of all the characteristics at some mm-hmm. point of, of some of the others, you know? Um, I think this is a, this is something that I, I wanted to, to, to bring out. Um, <laughs> do you think Omega is a force sensitive clone? Ooh. <laughs> I, I I hope she's not. I actually hope she's not. Um, I hope. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't mind if she is, but I hope that she's just the perfection of what all of these clones were. A a small step toward right. So each mm-hmm. one of the the bad batch has something about them that's unique and that is uh, that sets them apart from the regs, right? Whereas she theoretically should have all of those things because she is that that pinnacle clone she's the the one that they perfected yeah i i yeah i've 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 seen this like debate spark up you know about about omega's character and um yeah i don't 
I'm kind of I kind of agree with Thomas. I mean, I don't, I don't think she is. I, I think maybe that's just uh, there's definitely something special about her. Um, and and I kind of lean more towards you know what what Thomas was saying. Like she's probably just a, like the perfection of 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 what these clones can be. And I think that uh, like at I mean, obviously we're, we're, we're guessing here, but I think at mm-hmm. most she, she might, she might like maybe sort of like um, Finn's character where, where they kind of, they kind of uh, teased. You know, well, oh, sure. Yeah. That, that he was yeah. forced, like maybe not that far. Cause like with him, it's like, it, it was pretty obvious, but mm-hmm. maybe they'll toy around with the idea a little bit, but I think ultimately she'll be her own character um and not play around with like uh you know that aspect of oh am i should i like should she like try and be a jedi or should she you know go deeper into force powers i i think she'll want to be more like you know her counterparts now like the she'll want to be more like like you were talking about like more like hunter and and just be the you know um the best person in that sort of uh this clan or batch <laughs> um, <laughs> that she can be. I, I don't think she would want, if, if she discovered that she could, if she was force sensitive or, or anything like that, I, I, I don't know if she would necessarily want to, you know, go down that road. Now, am, am I misremembering this? Like in the trailers, wasn't there a point at which she used like a, like a light bow? Like she had like yeah. a, a bow and it was like a laser bow. And that, that was yeah. my biggest, like, Ah, are they going to go like weird Jedi with this? Like, you know, like <laughs> she doesn't use a lightsaber; she uses a light bow. It's like, oh, okay, I don't know, but mm. I don't know. We'll see how that all plays in. But <laughs> I suspect that that both of you are right. That that's kind of how I how I see it too. Um, and and I think the reason that it's important to to bring this up is I think this is a very strong way that they can connect to both the Mandalorian with you know, uh, Grogu and Dr. Pershing and the strand cast and the whole clone kind of presence there. But I think ultimately it's, it's connecting all of that to then ultimately Emperor Palpatine who, who is by the time of the rise of Skywalker, we know at some point they were able to create a, a force sensitive clone. And that's the, the body that Emperor Palpatine you know, inhabits by the time of rise of Skywalker. So I think that this is sort of, yeah, the, the preliminaries. And I think, uh, I would bet that the experiments that, that, uh, Lama Sue and Nala say are talking about at the end of the episode could be stepping in that direction. So I, I, I agree with you both. I, I, I think she's just, she's skilled. And and by yeah. by her by her genetics and the genetic code and and whatever, but I I don't think it's force sensitivity just yet. I also have a feeling that there is a much more sinister undertone to the phasing out of the Kaminoans, and uh, because why would there be the strand cast uh, genetic, uh, you know, the Empire be doing all of this genetic stuff? if they had the Kaminoans to turn back to and say, well, can you guys make us force sensitive clone? So I think that part of what this series is going to do is build that story of what happens to 
the clone force and the Kaminoans uh, and why their program is shut down and, and transferred over to the empire itself. On the one hand, we sort of have an answer to some degree. And, and, and that's the, the, it's, it's not cost effective, at least according to Tarkin. Right. And, and the reason for that is because he's trying to use money to build the death star. Mm -hmm. So, so there is that, but, but that, but that doesn't necessarily answer all the questions. Right. You know, one, one of the other potentials here is that, you know, they want to take that, that knowledge and that technology and isolate it. And, you know, it would be, it probably wouldn't be good for the empire to create, uh, an army of force sensitive clones who could turn on them. But if they can isolate it and then just use it for the emperor, you know, then we'll, we'll see where they go. But that's a, that's an interesting, uh, thought. I think for, for sure, uh, going back to Omega, um, the, the way I think if her character like really is becomes like really popular and I don't know, she sells a lot of toys and you know, it's, <laughs> I, I think for sure there, I don't know, there's something about her where I think everything from her, like her look and design and, and, and all the sort of curiosity that's surrounding her. I think she's, they're definitely priming her for potential live action counterpart in mm-hmm. Mandalorian. Um, I don't know, that's just a feeling I have. I mean, that's based on nothing, but I, I, I feel like, you know, the, the fact that she is like, you know, not to compare to Grogu, but she's a younger, cuter character, you know, she could kind of, you know, the next phase of that on the Mandalorian since, you know, Grogu will probably not, you know, we don't know anything. Although she, she'd be older by the time she appears in the Mandalorian. Maybe she dyed her hair black and goes by Cara Dune by that point. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Willing to bet she doesn't, but yeah. <laughs> uh, time will tell. Um, back on Onderon, which is is where the the elite squad was sent to take out uh, Sagarera's camp, and it's important to point out that Tarkin ordered them to wipe out Sagarera's camp. So that right. was that was the order. And Crosshair, again, being kind of influenced by his inhibitor chip, is all about good soldiers follow orders. And so he determines that the camp needs to be wiped out, even though Sagarera is not there. One of the recruits is unwilling to do this because he's recognizing that they're going to be killing civilians who are there just trying to trying to make a living, even though they were part of uh, Guerrera's camp. And he refuses to wipe out the camp and follow orders. And so he he determines that they're going to take them prisoner. And Crosshair determines that that is a disobeying of the orders and kills that particular recruit. And he demands that the others kill the civilians lest they too are taken out by Crosshair. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. This is much darker than anything that happened uh, in the Clone Wars. Yeah, this, this is yeah. this was dark. <laughs> Yeah. Um and this I, is this is where that that morality kind of uh comes to play where where mm-hmm. the the one recruit who refuses to do the evil, he was the one actually doing the moral good there. Now Crosshair mm-hmm. we can kind of look at and say, well, he is not fully in control, so he doesn't he doesn't share the same guilt, the culpability as we would say in, in the Catholic faith because he's not he doesn't have the the free will to choose 
you know, the, the good here. He is being programmed to, to follow orders. Um, the other recruits, however, they, they cross that line then from just merely kind of materially cooperating because they're trying to feed their family to then formally cooperating because even, even though they're not, uh, they're not really, they don't want to do it, but they're being forced to do it. So actually that kind of reduces their culpability too, but they, they make the decision to, to kill and to stay alive rather than actually do what would be the morally right thing and, and refuse to, to kill and then sacrifice themselves because of it. And, and this, it, it goes back to that debate about what a valuable soldier is. Right. And, you know, we had that debate on the last episode where we were talking about, well, it's more valuable to have soldiers that want to be there that voluntarily join up. But then also this next step of not only did they volunteer to be there, but now they are committing atrocities Mm -hmm. in the name of the empire. And that binds them Mm -hmm. so much more fully to the empire than any chip that they can implant in their head and force them to do anything with because now they have to justify that action for themselves which leads to more actions of the same kind and more justifications yep well and even by the end of the episode the that that those troopers are not like it's not shown that they decide to just turn turn tail and leave because Mm -hmm. of what they were forced to do they chose to do it out of fear of being killed by crosshair but they they have yeah committed themselves to to going down this road mm-hmm. uh which is of course not at all moral or good and i and i couldn't help but think here and um of the the difference between um so so you were just talking about what makes a good soldier and a, what makes a good soldier is of course having a moral compass and following it but um mm-hmm. But also loyalty, and in the sense of of loyalty to what is right and just. But here, there, there's a there's a distinction between these troopers who are creating are basically they're inspired to be loyal by fear, and that could cause problems down the road. As opposed to someone like Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is very good at inspiring loyalty because of his his personality and his care and leadership. And so I, I, I like the, the kind of the, the, dis, the, the conjunction of both of those sorts of, of ideas that these troopers are the first of the stormtroopers that are being inspired into loyalty by fear, which mm. actually makes them less good soldiers, I guess, if that, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, you know, yeah, because they're not, I mean, they're not really being conditioned. I mean, they are in a way, but it's, like you said, it's driven by fear. And mm-hmm. and, and, and that just leaves room for, you know, you know, like there was that one guy that tried to be, I don't know if he was just necessarily trying to be a hero, but he was just trying to do the right thing by saying mm-hmm. like, hey, we're not going to, you know, kill these people. They're civilians. Well, um, I think I, I think it's important to connect who it was to. Because that was the guy that was saying the Republic never did anything for me. Mm-hmm. And right. so he sees in these civilians himself. And that's why he's unwilling to, Correct. to, to commit to that act because he's, he sees these people. And so now he's breaking with the Empire because the Empire is not any better than the Republic was at this point. If he, they're going to tell him to just kill refugees. Sure. And so the, the whole thing shatters on that moment for him. 
yeah. which is really important. Yeah. And, and yeah. And like I was saying, it just takes another guy like him who is like s- stronger or has more of a, or more supporters behind him mm-hmm. to, you know, overthrow, you know, uh, someone like crosshair, whether he's being controlled or not. Um, right. Like it, it, it leaves room for that. But like, like you were saying, father, if it's someone more like Thrawn, who is like inspiring and, you know, yeah. or brainwashing, but it's effective, then you're conditioning these soldiers and, and you're making them believe in, in a, in a cause. And, and once they see like everyone's on the same page, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it's like just pouring gasoline on the fire. They're fueling each other and, and they're, they're, it's no longer just justifying what they're doing. It's like they actually believe in what they're doing. And this is the story of Finn in the, the sequel trilogy. Right. You know, yeah. he, he refused to kill at the very beginning of The Force Awakens, you know, and then he is one of the major players in, in you know, having the resistance rise up against uh, the First Order. So, I mean, that's, he, he, was a, he was a soldier who chose to do the right thing. And and yeah. that was that was his story. Now this guy unfortunately is not able to 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 live that out because Crosshair took him out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which which <sighs> I think is a really interesting moment in the show too, because earlier in the show when they were um, when they were having trouble with the ship, when the the, uh, the Clone Force ninety nine was having trouble with their ship and it was coming out of hyperspace and stuff, um, Hunter and Omega were talking about crosshair and hunter brought up a good point that they don't he, he felt bad that they weren't that they had left one of their own behind and she mentions well maybe we can go save him and that for me was an amazing moment because it turned the show on its head suddenly we're not worried about crosshair hunting them down we are but <laughs> yeah. at the same time they have to save him like it's not it's not just that they have to run from him but that they have to save him and that mm-hmm. it it, it totally shifts the the focus of the show now to we want him to hunt us down so that we can get another chance to mm-hmm. get him out of there and and pull him back he is a very unique villain in that sense most villains mm-hmm. you want to see you want to see defeated you want to see um destroyed or you know taken out or or whatever but but crosshair is a villain that we we know Crosshair. We we knew him when he was, you know, officially part of the Clone Force ninety nine, and 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 yeah, we we want to see him saved. Mm-hmm. So there, it yeah, it it it. There's a whole different dynamic with him as as kind of the the overarching villain. Um, it adds a bit of tragedy and emotional weight that mm-hmm. just having the 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 bad guy be the bad guy doesn't have. So. Yeah, I that that's that's very clearly the direction that that we're, they're taking this show and I think that that's that's important and I and I think it it then also again kind of ties back to a family thing theme and I and I really like that they they're doing this both um very particularly with Star Wars Rebels but but even the bad batch you've got the squad and you mm-hmm. don't leave someone behind you know and and so that's that's going to be the impetus of of clone force 99 as they're trying to to save their comrade yeah it's like it's like the winter soldier yeah right <laughs> very much so yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah captain america was uh you know willing to you know to save his his brother you know no matter what it took and even if he wasn't gonna you know turn turn back to being you know bucky barnes 
Mm-hmm. He, was, he was willing to, to die for it. So, yeah, remind, that reminds me a lot of uh, the Winter Soldier story. Hmm. I hadn't made that connection, but that is that is very true. Yeah. So uh, back on the, the planet, uh, Omega finds finds the dragon in, inside the lair and the capacitor. And this was also a very important moment, I think, for her because she has Hunter's senses, I think, here because she is able mm-hmm. to kind of see what's going on. She has Hunter's blaster, but she recognizes that she doesn't need to use it. So she doesn't have to kill the dragon, but rather she just uses her flashlight to, I love how it kind of acted like a dog. Like she <laughs> threw, threw the flashlight and the, the dragon goes off and, and gets it. But that was enough to, to distract it so she could grab the capacitor and escape. And, and I think that this was important because it shows her moral compass that, mm-hmm. that she didn't just, the first thing that she thought of, or, well, she, she didn't go down the road of just kill and take, but rather she found the, the alternative way of, of preserving the life and then, but still getting what she needed. She lost a flashlight in the process, but that's easily replaced. Uh, Tarkin back on Camino is impressed by the elite squad having succeeded. And this is where we get some more insight into his view on it. He calls the clone trooper program, a cost prohibitive relic of the past, but for the moment it's going to, uh, continue to serve its purpose, which apparently is going to be training recruits as they continue to go with project war mantle and Rampart then is promoted to Admiral because of the success. So I, he's going to play a role in this, this series as well, I am sure of. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of come to the conclusion of the episode where we have the, the dialogue between uh, Lama Su and, and Nala Se as they are discussing their clones becoming obsolete and they want to make them essential for the Empire. Uh, and that's where Lama Su tells Nala Se that they will begin the next phase, quote unquote. And he tells her to continue her experiments on creating a superior clone. So this also is going to have to to play out. And this is, of course, very vague and and ambiguous on what they're <laughs> what they're trying to get at here. Um, but but any any thoughts? Snoke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope we get some backstory for that character because good uh, grief, it's seriously. just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something in there or maybe stay away from it i don't know <laughs> yeah, i don't know it's it's a toss-up like which one's better at this point <laughs> i feel like well I, I i'm okay with what disney's doing because i mean i think we're all sort of in the same boat that that we're maybe less fond of the sequel trilogy but the more that they're able to kind of fill in some of the stuff in the in the the rebellion mm-hmm. era i'm okay with it because it does it does end up making the sequel trilogy make more sense story-wise Right, even yeah, it's kind of like what the what the animated series did for the prequels. Like, I know yeah. we we, we yep. love the prequels, you know, because of growing up with it. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's no secret that the prequels are, yep, you know, mixed at best. But the animated series, like, just yep. takes takes it to a whole nother level. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think if if they if their track record, you know, speaks for itself. So, I think they could definitely do that for the sequels. I was I was interested in the statements that they were making about still needing um, the genetic material from one of the clones. And it's like, mm-hmm. but they have crosshair. So what exactly is it that they need if they can't just go grab crosshair and say, hey, we need to you know, 
splice some of your genes out and and do something with them. And and they weren't specific about Omega. It's not like they needed to get Omega back. It's that they needed mm-hmm. one of the the CF99 uh, clones or one of the clones that's out in that squad. So I'm intrigued at what that's going to look like in the end. So maybe it's Hunter they're after. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously at this point, Django is not alive. So the original mm-hmm. source is, is not, is not able to, to be there, but. Well, and the material's degrading. So right. that's a, you know, they, right. they need a fresh, a fresh set and they, they need it from one of the clones. And I'm, it's, because there was a lot of talk about the inhibitor chips in this one that was mm-hmm. that was really kind of it was subtle and i liked the fact that it was as subtle as it was but and and my wife pointed this out afterwards she said i'm worried about all of them now and i'm like what do you mean she said well they're all like touching their heads and like you know wreckers got the thing with his head he knocked <laughs> his head during you know coming out of hyperspace yep. but she's like it's there was a lot of references to his head, so I'm kind of worried that mm-hmm. he's going to start going crazy with the inhibitor chips, and that seems to be a concern that Tech actually has. Which, yep, Tech yep. is not, you know, <laughs> the way he states things. It's like, yeah, this is a problem, <laughs> and and you know, you don't know how big a problem it is until all of a sudden it's a really big problem. <laughs> I also wonder if Omega has an inhibitor chip. She keeps mm-hmm. talking about them as if all the clones except for her has one, but. Mm-hmm. She's also a clone, so she could she could be just as vulnerable, or that could be like you know a, a fail safe that they genetically coded into her or put into her too. So lots of open questions, uh, which which is good. That makes for a good series. <laughs> uh, we uh, conclude the the episode with something very lighthearted, and I and I appreciated this. They. Uh, do leave the planet and they officially welcome Omega into the squad by Wrecker showing her that he made her a bedroom, which from what I gathered, it looked like the gunner area, correct? Like there was, that was right. that where the, yeah. <laughs> you know, so she has her little, her little loft now in the, where the, where the gunner area is. And Wrecker even gave her his, that stuffed animal, the, the Lula. Yes. So, it was so cute. I, <laughs> and we needed a face on it and everything. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I appreciated that. Um, that concludes the episode. Are there other things that st- struck uh, any of your guys' interests or that you wanted to point out? I really like the tack they're taking with the cinematography as being completely separate from the Clone Wars. Um, that's mm-hmm. it's really nice. And um, even with the like one of the things that they that they did with the faces in the Clone Wars was kind of have those sharper angles to them. Uh, but they're really playing it up in this in this yeah. uh, in this season. Uh, it's very much all about these stark, sharp angles and that dry brushstroke painting, um, and it makes it look so crisp. It's just a really nice effect. Yeah, you can tell they're 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 pouring money into this one, and mm. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah, and the animation is is really next level. Like it, it's it's really awesome. Like for for a series like this, mm-hmm. um, especially a, a a sixteen episode series, like yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Dave, I think I mean Dave Filoni is like we're watching him like get even better at his own craft. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great to watch. They're saving money by using just one voice actor, so they can pour money. <laughs> <into them. laughs> so that's what it is. They can just throw it back into the <laughs> <Good> voice. <laughs> um, one of the other uh, things that I wanted to point out finally was. Uh, Crosshair's helmet 
is starting to look a lot more like a stormtrooper helmet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And that was his that whole, was a, his whole getup. Yeah. Yep, yep. The 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 other recruits still had sort of a clone trooper look to their armor, but but Crosshair's new armor was looking more stormtrooper. So I mm-hmm. uh you you kind of got that subtle shift in in where the the troopers are going. So uh with that I think that concludes our discussion uh this evening. So, of course, listeners, we want to know what you thought of this episode of The Bad Batch, and we would love to start that conversation with you. So you can email us any feedback at starwars at sqpn.com, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, and on Twitter at sqpn. We'd also like to take a moment now to, to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, including this week, John G., Amanda M., Per H., Stephen H., and Robert B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows that we make here at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Also, of course, be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and you can find us on the SQPN YouTube channel. Just be sure to click that bell to get notifications for new episodes. And you can find all of our previous episodes by going to sqpn.com slash Star Wars. We will be back next week as we will take a deeper look into episode four of the Bad Bat, the Bad Batch. So, of course, be sure to watch it on Disney Plus first and then join us as we discuss it uh, a few days later. So until next time, Andrew Hermes, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. And Thomas Sanherjo, thanks for joining us this evening as well. It's been great. And once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest.